following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. What are your visions of the kingdom of God? When you think about the kingdom of God, what are some of the thoughts that pop, or images or pictures that pop into your mind? Um, And kind of beyond that, really, what is it that is appealing or interesting to you about the kingdom of God? Uh, I think if we're honest, if I'm honest, I would have to say that uh, what 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 attracts me to the kingdom of God is I think the kingdom of God will be a much easier place than, than life here and now. Right? And uh, that, that's interesting to me. I don't want life to be hard. I want it to be easy. Anybody up for that? Okay, there's a few masochists out there, but most of us are like, no, yeah, let's go for the easy path, right? And so there's something about the kingdom. It's like, yeah, when the kingdom comes, life's just going to get easier for us, and uh, we won't have so many problems. Uh, when I was younger and uh, liked to ski a lot, one of my visions of, of the kingdom of God uh, was like a, uh, the perfect ski slope that you could ski on all day and you would never get to the bottom. So you could just ski and it was great and you'd never have to ride the chairlift back up, right? Um, well, there's really nothing wrong with uh, our, our desire for life to be good and to be easier and, and, and to kind of get out of the pain and difficulty that life often presents for us. Um, but, but the problem is that um, this has very, very little to do actually with the kingdom of God. Right? And as we see, as Jesus teaches and unfolds here, the kingdom of God is really not about those things. Uh, and it's actually not about life getting easier. It's kind of the bad news, right? Um, because the kingdom of God is, is different than that. And in many ways, it's not at all what we might initially think about or expect. Um, and the Pharisees and the Jews in Jesus, they misunderstood what the kingdom of God was. And so, consequently, they missed Jesus, which is a critical error. We don't want to make the same mistake. So we want to be clear about what the kingdom of God really is, because uh, Jesus is the king. To miss the kingdom is to miss him. And so we want to look at what Jesus teaches here and uh, try to understand a little more accurately and clearly what Jesus meant by the kingdom of God. Um, first off, let me read again. Uh, this, the, there's two audiences here, and this kind of breaks down in two sections. The first section, Jesus is addressing or answering a question of the Pharisees. Second section, Jesus turns and he starts speaking to the disciples. So the first section, he's speaking to the Pharisees, and he's responding to their question about when the kingdom of God would come. And this was a a serious Jewish pastime. And like all of us, life was was difficult for the Jews, uh, uh, especially during the time of, of Christ. They'd been under Roman rule, and the Romans were not really all that crazy about the Jews and were not always kind to the nation of Israel. And they suffered many things and did not have freedom or independence. So it was natural for them to want a change. And the Jews were looking forward to a time when 
God would bring his kingdom. And they envisioned this being a time when the, the Jewish people would be able to rise up and would actually be able to go and fight against the Romans and defeat them and set up Israel once again as a nation and uh, where, where Jerusalem would be its throne and its capital and they would have their own king. And uh, they envisioned that if they could do that, life would be better for them. Uh, and they could get rid of foreign control and influence. Uh, so the, this was a very common theme for the Jews, and they were asking this question often, and they come to Jesus asking, when is it coming? And what they're really asking here is they, they had this picture of this belief that when it was the right time, God would send these great um, signs that would indicate it was time to rise up and go to war. So they, they believed in a, in a messianic king who would come, but they didn't have this picture of the king kind of wiping things out on his own, but that like in past times when they came into the promised land, they would, they would have to fight for it. But because here's the deal, and they, they tried this a couple of times and it did not go well. If you're going to take up arms and go to war, you want to know that God's with you, right? Because if you do this and you kind of misread the signs, the Romans were not really very patient or kind with rebellious countries, and they would tend to just wipe you out, right? So they're, they're, the question they're asking is, God, is Jesus, when are we going to know when it's okay to attack the Romans? Like, what's the sign, right? And throughout Scripture, throughout the Gospels, they're asking Jesus for signs, and that's really what they're fishing for. And for them, you know, turning water into wine just wasn't cutting it, you know, because we're talking about taking on the Romans here. We're not going to kill them with grape juice, right? Not even if it's real wine, right? So, so they want big signs. They want to know, like, you know, it's like, you know, meteorites crashing into Rome or something. This would be, that would be good, right? So that's, that's what they're asking. Um, but notice what Jesus says to them. Notice his answer. He says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Right? You're not going to be able to go say, hey, look, there it is, or hey, here it is, or there it is. Right? Because the kingdom of God is a kingdom without borders. Right? There's nothing geographical or political about the kingdom of God. Jesus says it can't be observed. Right? It's not going to be something, it's not going to be like that. When the kingdom of God comes, it is not going to be about the, uh, the, the Jews overthrowing Rome. Right? In fact, uh, he doesn't say this here, but the reality is he's, he's saying, you know, the kingdom of God is actually going to come right into Rome. Romans are going to come into the kingdom of God. Good thing he didn't go there, there with them because that probably would have got him crucified a bit earlier. Right? Um, but, but he's teaching that it's not about a place. It is the key. So, so here's the principle for us. First and most important thing about the kingdom is the kingdom of God is primarily intangible. But they were looking for a tangible, physical kingdom, a place in a country. Jesus makes it clear that it is intangible. The kingdom of God is not about a country. Um, it is a kingdom without borders. Um, you're not going to be able to point to a map and say, that's the kingdom of God. Okay, you can't get on an airplane and, and apply and get a, a visa to go to the kingdom of God. Right? It says the kingdom of God is not at all like that. Um, that is not its nature or character or quality. Um, instead, he says, the kingdom is actually in your midst. 
Says it's not coming in observable ways. It's not tangible. In fact, the kingdom is right here among you. And what Jesus means by that, and he's said this before in Luke, he's he is the kingdom. The kingdom has come because the king has come. And Jesus doesn't say it explicitly here, but it's very much implied that I'm here, and with me comes the kingdom along with me. So the kingdom is not a place, it's a person. It is not a country, it is a king. It is not a political system, it is a powerful spiritual force. So therefore, it is not a place you can reside in, it is a person you are in relationship with. Uh, That's the nature and character of the kingdom that Jesus brings. And, of course, the Jews couldn't grasp that because they were looking for something geographical and political. And Jesus says none of those things. Right? Um, so what does it mean for, for the kingdom to come? When Jesus says the kingdom is in your midst because I'm here, what exactly does Jesus mean by that? Right? It's this force. It's this relationship. It's the king. Uh, but, but what would clarify that a bit more? Well, um, to really understand this, uh, we need to go back to God's original creation of the world. Um, God created the world as his kingdom. And when God first established everything and created the world and set the garden and put Adam and Eve in the garden, God ruled over everything. And he made Adam and Eve his vice regents, his co-rulers under him. And their task and job was to rule over the world but really under God's rule, reign, and authority. Uh, but we know that didn't go real well. And Adam and Eve rejected the rule of God. And when they sinned, at the, at the core of what they did, the fundamental basis of what they did when they sinned, is they rejected God's rule over their life. And they said, no, we don't think God knows what he's talking about. We're, we don't want to follow his instructions. We know better And we want to rule our own lives. We want to live out from under his authority and power and dominion. And that's exactly what the fall is about. The fall is about mankind taking over sovereign control of his own life and being his own boss and and rejecting God's rule. That's one of the reasons that people get real confused about how how God could send good people to eternal judgment. Because they think that what it's about is being a good person. But here's the absolute reality. You can be the best person in the world and still reject God's rule and authority over your life. Right? And if you do that, you are what? You are a rebel. Right? You are guilty of treason. Right? No matter how attractive you are, no matter how nice you are, no matter how many people you help, right? you can be the ultimate good Samaritan. Right? You could make Mother Teresa look like a selfish old lady right? Uh, because you're so generous and so kind because you live with the poor and help the weak and you're doing all those good things. But the reality is if you're doing them out from under God's rule and authority, you're just a rebel, a good rebel, but you are a rebel. And you're guilty of treason before the king. And when Adam and Eve sinned, it plunged all of us into a collective rebellion against God. And so God was no longer ruling over people. Now you may say, well, I thought God was sovereign. Well, he is sovereign. And in his sovereign will and purpose, he created a world where people had the freedom to choose 
to follow his rule or not. Right? And we chose not. Right? So, so what does it mean for Christ to be bringing the kingdom? Well, the problem with the Roman concept, I mean, the, the Jewish concept of the kingdom being, you know, overthrowing the Ro- Romans is they had this wrong idea that if they had their own king and their own boundaries, their own political system in place, that they would then be, right, uh, a kingdom. The problem is history had proved for many hundreds and hundreds of years that even when Israelites had all of those things, they were still what? Rebel, rebellious to God. They, they were not living under God's reign and rule any more than they were during the time of the Romans. Right? So the problem is not governments. The problem is our heart. Uh, the kingdom of God means that Jesus is once again ruling and reigning over the hearts of mankind, over the hearts of humanity, who are his willing and loyal subjects. Well, how is Jesus going to accomplish this? Uh, well, he says later on, um, kind of at the end of the section we read in verse 25, he says this. Um, but first, he says, let me start with verse 24. The lightning flashes from one side of the sky to the other. Uh, so will the Son of Man be in his day. So he's speaking about his, his return, right? The second coming. We'll talk about that in a minute. But first, right, but first, before that can happen... He, the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Uh, the only way Jesus could overcome the rebellious hearts of mankind is to deal with the sin and rebellion at the root of our heart. The only way to do that was through the cross. Right? Jesus reestablishes his reign, brings his kingdom rule back to the hearts and lives of men by dying on the cross by suffering the ultimate rebellion and rejection, the ultimate insurrection, the ultimate treason against him as king, when his subjects, the generation that he walked in, uh, killed their king. But what happened on the cross when he did that? Well, something broke as through his death he made it possible for our wicked, rebellious hearts to be regenerated, to be made new. So through the cross, Jesus offers forgiveness of our sins. But beyond that, he also offers the, the transformation of our hearts into people who can submit, who can yield their lives to Christ. Right? It is uh, one of the most amazing wonders and mysteries of all of Scripture that the king regains his kingdom. Jesus regains his kingdom not by force, by bowling over the enemy, by domineering and, and conquering evil uh, through force. But he does it how? Through the cross, right? Through the cross. Through so the cross, Jesus undermines all the power and authority of evil and darkness. Because by his work, our heart becomes um, immune to the power and effects of sin. Um, and through that, we become willing subjects of the king, where he rules over our life. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, salvation is not just about your sin. It is that, right? It is about your sin, your rebellion, the consequences of sin, the death and judgment that you deserve. 
And Jesus took that on the cross so that you and I could be free from its punishment. But more than that, through the cross, Jesus wants to transform and change our heart uh, so that we will want him to be Lord and King of our life. Um, What does that mean? What does the kingdom really mean? Well, short, simple terms, here it is. The kingdom means this. The kingdom means that God gets to tell us what to do. It means he's king, right? It means that we follow him, that our life is yielded and under his rule and authority. And our task is simply to to follow and be obedient. What is the natural response to that, right? If you go out, in fact, here's a method of evangelism you can try. Instead of the whole God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, try this. God is sovereign Lord of creation, and he wants to dominate over your life. You in? I like that one, right? See how that works, right? Why do, why do we laugh about that? Well, because we know human nature does not like that, right? Everything in our nature resists lordship, right? It's going back to the fall in the garden. Everything about us resists anybody having control and authority and power over our life. When I'm amazed, even in Thailand, who has a king who's very honored and revered, who they at some levels respect, right? And, and certainly you don't want to be guilty of treason here. Right? Just warning you, if you don't know that, be careful what you say about the king, right? But the truth is, how many people in Thailand, Thai people who love the king, really allow the king of Thailand to be lord over their life? Right? How many of them so order their life that they really embody all the things that he as a king teaches and talks about. Well, the truth is none of them do, right? None of them do. Because they are, just like everybody else, rebellious, right? It is our nature to rebel. It is our nature to resist that kind of authority over life. It is not natural. Uh, We are naturally defiant and resistant of God's control over our life, his rule over our life, right? And that's why Jesus had to go to the cross. That's why the cross is so essential. And that's why it is so vital that the cross do its work in our life, not only of forgiving sin, but of transforming our heart to be different. Uh, And and I grant salvation as a process, and we could get into the whole salvation lordship debate, right? Uh, We won't necessarily go there. But let me just say this. Salvation may be a process, but the end of that process will always be the lordship of Christ over our life. Right? If you are putting your faith in Christ to save you, but you will not bow to him as Lord, and you will not yield your whole life to him as sovereign Lord and ruler over your life, you should really seriously think about if you are really saved or not. Because Jesus did not save you just to deal with sin. He saved you to be king over your life, right? To be... In his kingdom, which is what Jesus is talking about here, he's talking to the Pharisees, saying, if you want to be in the kingdom, right, you've you got to bow before the king. And if we are not coming to the place where we are bowing before Christ as Lord and we are willingly accepting his rule over our life, are we really saved? Right? Have we really come to the place of bringing the power of the cross over every area of our life? Ultimately, salvation is lordship. Being in the king is ultimately 
being in the kingdom is ultimately being under the king and submitted to him. Um, so that's Jesus' statement to the Pharisees, you know, and they still are unwilling to bow before him. But then he turns his attention to the disciples and he says this, uh, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Um, now, I, you know, I, I get it that uh, the kingdom is primarily God's lordship over our life. Um, but uh, I also get that we long for Jesus to, like, like crush all the bad guys, you know. Um, we long for the day when Jesus wins, not just over us now, but where he cleans out all the junk of the world, right? And, and Jesus understood that. And he says to his disciples, you know, right now it's about my lordship, and my lordship right now is voluntary. It is not absolute. Right? So the kingdom of God does not mean Christ's absolute dominion over the earth. Right now it's very much voluntary, and it's person by person. Each person who comes into the kingdom voluntarily by faith and through the sovereign work of God bringing us to him, we yield our life to the king. But we look around and we know that that's not true for people, most people in the world. It's certainly not true of the world systems and the world governments. Right? And the consequence of that is that we live in a time where life is not easy. Uh, there are earthquakes like in Nepal. There are places where people are actively hunting down and killing Christians. Um, we, we don't face that here, but maybe your struggle is that you're being persecuted by immigration. Right? They've been good at that lately. Uh, and they've been enjoying persecuting Christians by denying them visas. You know, there's many ways in which life is difficult. And Jesus says, the days are coming uh, when you will long for the coming day of the Lord. In other words, Jesus is saying here, the kingdom is not comfort. Right? Following me and living out your life in this world will have trouble and difficulty. There will be injustice. Right? And while we should all fight for justice, the reality is until Christ has absolute reign and rule, the world will be full of all kinds of injustice and unfairness. And uh, followers of Christ will be persecuted. Right? Uh, if you stand up and live for Christ, you will be persecuted, he said. You will encounter hard times. Um, and those days are coming when you're going to long for the, the completion of heaven, the completion of the kingdom when God's rule becomes absolute and God deals with all that junk. Right? Um, life is going to be hard and it's not just comfortable. And you will long for that day because you will want relief from the suffering and he says specifically, you will long for the day. Now notice what he says. He does not say you will long for the coming of the kingdom. Because okay? the kingdom is, in your, is here. What does he say, though? He says you will long for the days of the Son of Man. Ultimately, we're going to look at what that is next week. Uh, we won't go into it in detail now. But it's the second coming of Christ when he comes in judgment and he does 
exercise absolute rule. It will happen. Um, in the meantime, though, when life gets tough, you're going to long for those days. You're going to wish that time was near. But what does Jesus say to his disciples? He says, you will not see it. You will not see it. Right? Uh, he may not be able to say that to us because we might see it. Right? We might see the return of Jesus. But Jesus was very clear to his disciples. You are not going to see my return. Right? The days of suffering are going to go well past your life. And you just better deal with it, right? Because it's going to be hard, right? Um, you will not see my return. Right? We don't know about us. We may be the generation that will, right? We may not. But he says, don't worry that you're going to miss it. He says, it's going to be like lightning flashing in the sky. It's going to be visible to all. When Jesus returns the second time, no one is going to miss it. Right? So don't worry about that. If, you, if you're kind of concerned about that one, trust me, when Jesus comes back, it's going to be on CNN and like BBC and everything. Right? It's going to be big news. And nobody's going to miss it. It's going to be obvious. And especially for those who are in his kingdom and who are his followers, you will know. Right? You will know. Um, so, so what this means is this. We live, we're living in something of an in-between time. Right? The kingdom has been inaugurated. Jesus has established his rule through the cross. And we are, who are his followers are now living in the kingdom. Right? We are in the kingdom age. And if you're in Christ... He's Lord over your life. And if he's not, you need, to, you need to work on that, right? So that more and more his reign and rule is being visible and evident over our life. But life is hard, and we're longing for the, you know, the victory days of the kingdom, right? So how do we live between? Just a couple of real practical things as we wrap it up. First thing. Uh, we are living in the kingdom. And what that means is um, we really li are living in the days of the garden. Not in terms of its comfort, but in terms of its access to, to God. Right? Uh, you know, we think about the garden as being a beautiful place with cool fruit and you got to be naked, which for some people could be a plus. I don't know. Um, think about the comforts of being there. But what was most significant about the garden is not those things. What was most significant is that day by day, Adam and Eve walked in the presence of God. Right? He met with them daily. Right? What it means for us to be in the kingdom is we have full access daily to God's presence in our life. Right? We have everything Adam and Eve had in access to the Father. Right? And he's with us. He is with us, absolutely. Right? We may not feel like it, but he is with you. If you're in Christ, he's poured out your spirit. He's made his home in your life. That, that's life in the kingdom. Right? Um, because he is king and has power and authority over our life, sin, rebellion, death, demons, the power of darkness, none of these have power over our life anymore. Right? Romans 8 says that there's, there's no power, there's no darkness, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. That's life in the kingdom. Uh, it also means that we are to live life bowed before him continually. 
Right? To be living in the kingdom means we accept God, God's rule through Christ over our life. We submit and yield our lives to walk in obedience to Him. This is hard because, like I said, it's not our natural bent. But we need to pray and seek for the work of the cross in our life to be transforming our heart so that we want Him to be Lord over our life. See, in this age, Jesus is not forcing Himself on anyone. He wants loyal, willing subjects who, who long for Him to be the boss, to be the ruler, to be Lord over their life. Uh, so with that comes the... The priority in our life, that everything in our life should be focused on His will and purpose. Right? We don't get to have our agenda anymore. But we shouldn't want our own agenda. right? Because we should be at a place where we recognize that our good and loving King, His plan and His, his will, his, his kingdom is perfect. And He wants the very best for us. So we welcome His will. And we submit to it willingly. And we daily evaluate, am I really living under his rule? Am I really centered in his will? We pursue that with all of the passion of our being. Um, it is also true that we, we should be longing for the final victory. Life does get hard, right? And uh, living in the kingdom does not make life easy. And when you deal with struggles and difficulties and hardships and you get discouraged... What should we do with that? Well, we should long for the day when Jesus returns as king and he deals with wicked immigration officers, right? Or, or whatever injustice you deal with, right? Um, that he will one day conquer, right? It's good to long for those things. It's good to pray for that time. Um, it's good to pray that God's kingdom would come. Right? What that means is not, it, it, it means Jesus' final judgment. What it really means is that the gospel would come and win hearts. Right? We're in a season when God is seeking to bring people under his rule willingly. And we should be praying and seeking and working to bring people under his authority, to bring them into his kingdom. And lastly, we should be people who know how to endure patiently, walking faithfully with God, knowing that He is going to return. And when He does, He is going to make life good. Right? That never-ending ski run, it's going to be there. I just know it. Right? Uh, whatever it is that's going to make your life full of joy and goodness and wonder, living it out in God's presence will come. And all the sickness and disease and death and sorrow will be melted away. But don't, don't do this. Don't think that we have to endure apart from God until that day, right? What Jesus is saying here is, look, you're in the kingdom. You are living with the king. You are going through this battle, this great spiritual warfare during this season where the church is overcoming, right? As Jesus leads and as he brings his kingdom and as he draws people from every corner of the world into his, into his realm, under his lordship, and we are part of that. And we walk with Christ as victors in that. Um, but we can't celebrate, you know, the party is not until we've won the final battle. Right? So keep fighting. Keep laboring. 
keep walking with Christ, keep uh, bowing our life to him and surrender in lordship, knowing that one day, one day there will be celebration and the kingdom will be completed and his authority will be absolute. And those who are his children, those who call him Lord, will celebrate as co-rulers with Christ for all eternity. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.